what you're going to hear other people teach real estate, all they do is say, you find a property, then you run the numbers, basically you calculate your expenses, you calculate your income, you make sure you're going to make money in passive income, and then you buy it, and then you find somebody to manage it, then you get a tenant in there. That's backwards. In fact, that, if you do that, you're going to actually lose money. That's the wrong way to do it. Today's episode is brought to you by Publisher Rocket. If you're even thinking about publishing a book, journal, coloring book, notebook, or puzzle book on Amazon, then you need Publisher Rocket in your corner. It's the secret weapon behind dozens of bestsellers for me and my clients. Pay once and get it for life at servemaster.com front slash rocket. Are you tired of dealing with your boss? Do you feel underpaid and underappreciated? If you want to make it online, fire your boss and start living your retirement dreams now, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Serve No Master Podcast, where you'll learn how to open new revenue streams and make money while you sleep. Presented live from a tropical island in the South Pacific by best-selling author, Jonathan Green. Now, here's your host. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. We have an amazing guest, Dustin, the founder and host of the Master Passive Income, a blog and podcast about investing in real estate, rental property, something very interesting to me because it's such a new territory. It's his desire to help people just like you to succeed when it comes to investing in real estate, rental properties. He's committed to helping those who are on their business journey by sharing insights into how to be successful in real estate investing in rental properties. He values the story of each business owner and does not hide away from failures, but he's willing to share them openly because he believes that it's important for his clients to also learn from his mistakes and save their valuable time and money. Believe me, it speaks to me because I'd much rather learn from someone else's mistakes than my own. Even more amazing is that Dustin believes each person has a unique and inspiring story that can help others start investing in real estate and possibly to fuel the fire for the passion for the business that they actually love. And today he's going to tell us more about his inspiring story and how he quit his job and decided to never work for someone else ever again. So let's start with that. Tell us about your last job and how you walked out that door. Oh, man. Yeah. So my last job, I was working for the county government. And as I was buying property after property, I started realizing that I had enough money coming in from passive income. That's where I work one time. And then I don't have to work again because my rental properties make me money. And I was working for the county government doing IT work. Now, I do have a small, a quick story I wanted to walk you guys through that really got me down the path of doing real estate investing, buying rental property after rental property, making passive income. And so what it really came down to was I was working in, again, as the same, same job. I was working at IT department at the county government in California. And my wife had her fourth kid and we were, you know, having the baby. And a week after the baby was born, I went on paternity leave. And so paternity leave is basically when the dad stays home with the family for a little bit to help out with the mommy and, you know, bond with the the child. So I go on paternity leave. I come back after paternity leave and remind you, my daughter is literally, my fourth kid is literally like three or four weeks old. So I come back from paternity leave and I was at work for about a week. And it was a Friday at 3 p.m. I get a call from my boss's 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 secretary. And she says, Dustin, would you please come to the boss's office? And I paused for a second. I said, sure, okay. And I hung up the phone. And I thought, why in the world would they be calling me to the office? I don't think I've done anything wrong. I don't think I've done anything right. Like everything's just going fine. So I sit there for a second. And in the back of my mind, I just remember this random thing about a rumor about a couple months before I went on paternity leave, there was a small rumor that there might be layoffs in the county because of limited funds. And so 
with that, I get up with that in my brain and I start walking down the hallway to my boss's, boss's, boss's office. And as I walk, my feet get heavier. They feel heavier and heavier, like they're lead bricks. And as I'm taking that next step, thoughts go through my head of, oh my goodness, am I actually going to be laid off? No, I can't be laid off. Can I get in denial? And I get walking and it's not really a long hallway, but it felt like it was super long. Then I round the corner and I get to my boss's office. His door is closed. The secretary's there. She's a super nice lady. She looks at me and says, Dustin, would you please have a seat? And sheepishly, she's grinning at me because she knows exactly what's going on. She can't say a word, but I have no clue. So I sit down in that chair. And as I sit there, more thoughts come through my head because this is just so weird. And I started thinking, oh my goodness, all this time I've been working at this job for 10 years. And I call it a job. It's just over broke. I was literally living just over broke working that job, but working there for 10 years, working towards something that I thought I was going to have for the rest of my life. I'm like, I have a really good retirement and all that great stuff. And then I started thinking, oh my goodness, am I a failure? If I get laid off, am I a failure as a husband? Am I a failure as a father or even as a man providing for my family? Well, the door opens up to my boss's office and out walks a lady with a piece of paper in her hand. And that piece of paper is, is she's looking at, she's actually starting to cry just a little bit. And she leaves, she doesn't say anything. And my boss says, Dustin, would you please come into my office? And I get up, I walk into his office and I literally get laid off. I get laid off from my job. And remember, I'm working for the government. Like nobody gets fired. Nobody gets laid off from the government, but I did. And as I'm walking back to my office, I realized there are two things that I need to do. Number one, I need to get another job to provide for my family. Like I need to do that. So I worked really hard, got a job, was really blessed to find another job very, very quickly. After that, in the same county, just a whole nother department doing very similar things, which was great. So I never got laid off. But the second thing that I realized was that I needed to never ever let this happen to me again. I needed to make sure that I had protection for myself with finances, that I was going to be financially independent. So I would never, ever have to have somebody have a control over me. And so that's that day I've decided now I am now an investor. I've always wanted to be an investor. I was one, I think I had one rental property at the time, but I said, you know what? No time ever. Will I ever tell anybody if they say, Hey, Dustin, what do you do? What I normally would say, I work for the county government. Now I literally told everybody, I am a real estate investor. I buy and hold rental properties and this is what I do. So my value is what I give myself, not what my job gives me. And so everybody listening to this or watching this, you absolutely, your value is in you, where you give yourself value, not your job, not what somebody else pays you. And so from that point, I started becoming, an, I became an investor and I started buying property after property, after property. And it was that six years, I developed 19 properties. They were making me, I think, $9,500 in gross rents. I think it totaled like $7,000 in passive income. And I just kept buying property after property. And then I was able to leave and quit my job. Now I got to round up the entire story and say, my last day working at my job, I had, I think, 30 properties by that time. And I worked a couple, like a year extra just because I was nervous to quit that W-2 job. And I quit. And as I'm walking, it's about a mile walk to my car because I was working downtown, didn't want to pay for parking. But that mile walk, which I've taken hundreds, hundreds, or maybe thousands of times, I felt like I was walking on clouds. Like it was the best walk I've ever taken, you know, compared to walking down the hallway with lead feet. Now I'm walking home for the very last time. And I will never, ever work a job again. I was 37 years old when I quit a job and I will never look back. Okay. So that's an amazing story. 
very similar to mine when I got fired in a blizzard. So I know what it feels like right when you've made some big decisions or had a baby and suddenly you lose your job. I'm interested in how people can kind of get into initial real estate because most people, at least for me, especially when it comes to rental properties, I think it's for like rich people who have a bunch of extra money and then they grab like, you know, because properties are so expensive. Are you going in and paying like full price or are you using leverage to get your first properties? Like how can someone start when they're not already a millionaire with a monocle? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I was, I was literally living just over broke with my wife. When we got married, we were married for like six months. And I said, you know what? I need to actually start doing something different than working for somebody else. So if you don't have a lot of money, which I literally did not have a lot of money. I think we started with like 10 or $15,000. That was like the bare minimum that we had. And I've taken on students. See, I also coach real estate. I coach people how to actually buy properties. And the minimum I would say is $10,000. Once you have $10,000, you can do a lot. You can buy a lot of different properties and you can make passive income. If you have less than that, it's possible. It's just a lot of work. In fact, one of my students in six months, he's bought seven units. He has seven rental units that are making him, I think close to 18 or $2,000 a month in passive income from these, these properties. And two of them he bought with no cash. So you absolutely can buy them with no, no money out of your own pocket but there are, it's a more advanced strategy, which I teach all my students. But if you're going to start with very little money, there is, I'll give you a quick, easy way to do it. There's one quick and very easy way. It's called an FHA loan. It's a federal housing administration loan. Instead of putting 20% down, I'll give you a round number. It's really easy to understand this. A $200,000 house. If you buy that with a regular conventional loan, 20% 20% is $40,000. Like I didn't have $40,000. Most people don't have $40,000 to put down to buy a house. But if you use an FHA loan, you could put three and a half percent down. That's only $7,000 to put down on a property. Now there's a little bit of caveat. You have to live in there for a year. But if you live in there for six months, refinance to get out of that FHA loan, then buy another house. Then you can use that first house as a rental property. So that's one of many, many options. So you can absolutely start with very, very little, no money. But here's also another catch. I, not catch, but like a trick that I love as a professional, I love investing out of state, like very, very, very far away from me. Like literally where I am thousands of miles away. I lived in California in 2006. That's when I started buying properties and I bought properties in Ohio. It's like thousands of miles away. All of my students, we invest all over the country. I'm currently in Ohio, Texas, and Arizona. I have students buying in the Carolinas and Florida, Tennessee, Oklahoma, all these other places, like so many other places you can buy these properties. And here's the great thing. You can buy properties for $40,000, $50,000. I, I kid you not. There are properties that are, are selling for forty and fifty dollars and $60,000. But here's the thing. You don't have to live there people that live there want to live there. Even though you might not live there, there are people that would love to rent out your property. So if we find the right area of the country to invest and buy a right property, but pausing that quick thought and buying the right property, we need to build the business first. We need to make sure we have a business before we buy a property. I'll give you all that in just a second, but we can absolutely do that with very, very little money. So then when you're buying property from far away, my wonder is, and this has always been my concern is, how do you deal with tenants if you're not there? How do you go have a screening process? How do you make sure they pay every month? What do you do if tenants decide not to pay? You have to deal with that issue. All those things that you have to deal with normally face-to-face, how do you handle all that stuff if you're so far away? That's a, a fantastic question. And the, re, the way that you do this, and let me give you the way you don't do it first. And it's really quickly, I'll be able to tell you this. What you're going to hear other people teach real estate, all they do is say, you find a property, 
Then you run the numbers. Basically, you calculate your expenses, you calculate your income, you make sure you're going to make money in passive income, and then you buy it, and then you find somebody to manage it, then you get a tenant in there. That's backwards. In fact, that if you do that, you're going to actually lose money. That's the wrong way to do it. It's sad, but it's, it's good for me, but it's sad that I've had so many, I bought so many properties off of in quote unquote investors like mom and pop people that have done it the wrong way. They've done it this way, you know, find a property, run the numbers, all that, all that. Let me show you exactly how to do this. And you're going to do it right. You need to build the business first. That's the number one thing you must do anywhere. Even if you're investing in your own backyard and you're going to have somebody, you know, manage the property or you're going to be able to drive to whatever, you always build the business first. Now, I'll give you an example of what is, this would look like. If you're going to start a convenience store, you know, a convenience store, you know, sodas and candy bars and stuff like that. If you're going to start a convenience store, you're not going to get a big open room, open the doors up and put a box of candy bars in there and hope to run a business. If you do that, you're going to lose money. In fact, you're going to go out of business in two seconds. What you're going to do is you're going to get the shelving units. They're called gondolas to put the candy bars on. You're going to get countertops. You're going to get fountain machines, cold storage units. You're going to get um, countertops, bank accounts, cash registers, employees. You're going to do all the work first before you put any inventory, like a candy bar, a box of candy bar, any inventory in there. You're going to do all that work first. And then every piece of inventory would be like a box of candy bars that you put inside that business. Same exact thing when you're investing in real estate. You build the entire business first. You make sure that you have it to where it's going to run on its own, where it's going to make sure that you are making money every single month and you don't do any work. And then once you have that business built, then you buy one property. That is just like one box of candy bar. It's a piece of inventory. I have 30 plus properties now and I've taught my students, hundreds and hundreds of students how to do this. You do your properties. Remember, you're not living there. It's not your home. It's a piece of inventory just like a box of candy bars. So you build the business first. Then you, and this is the step that you absolutely must take. As you're building your business, you're going to have people like property managers who you completely vetted. You know that they're going to take care of your properties even before you've even found a property to buy. Then, and this is the key that most people won't even think to do. And this is, nobody's telling you how to do this. If if they're teaching you how to do real estate, you make sure once you find a property, you have your property manager go to the property. They're, you've, they're already on your team. They're already going to be employed by you. You have them go to the property, look at the property, make sure, hey, this is how much it's going to cost to fix it up to get it rented. And this is a likelihood. Like This is the area, and this is how much you could rent it for. And another thing they might say is, do not buy this house. It's in a bad area. It's, it's, I, we, we had a house like three doors down. We had to sell it because of this, this, and this. You want to make sure that you have the experts who are there on the ground to tell you exactly how to do it. Because I have so many students come to me and say, hey, Dustin, what do you think about this city? And say, I really don't know. Unless I literally invest there, I don't know. And you don't know. Either one of us don't know. But who does? Our experts, the ones that we find there, the experts are the ones that are going to be, and these are going to be people like property managers, easy, handymen, contractors, realtors, wholesalers, inspectors, roofers, plumbers, all these other people that are going to be ready to do work way before you even have one property. And when you answer your question about the tenants and managing the tenants, your property managers, they are the ones that are going to be taking care of these properties day in and day out. And I kid you not, if you've ever read the four hour work week, that's a good book, but I don't like working four hours a week. That's just way too much. I work 30 minutes, not a week. I work 30 minutes a month because I hire the people to do the work for me. But now here's the great, great thing. I buy the property and I make passive income and I account for all the expenses. So 
I literally do not pay my property tax. My property manager, I don't pay them. I don't pay my taxes. I don't pay my insurance. I don't pay my mortgage. I don't pay the repairs. I don't pay any of that stuff. My tenants do. And then the difference is all that passive income that comes from me. So you add up all your expenses and then you put your income. Let's say it's $1,300. And if you're in, your expenses are $1,000, that's $300 difference. That's in your pocket as passive income and your expenses are all paid like your property manager. So your first rental property, I think you said like a good number to start with is at least $10,000. What kind of return can you expect? Are you going to expect to make like $300 a month off of that type of investment or what kind of numbers are like realistic? I'm going to give you the principle that you're not going to hear from anybody else. I'm going to give you this principle. So I've had property, like my literally my first property was $381 in passive income every single month from that property. I have students, actually one student I just interviewed for my my podcast, the Master Passive Income Podcast. I interviewed him. He has one property making him $700 and he even has a mortgage. He's making $700 a month in passive income. So instead of giving you like the, the, the ceiling, I'm going to give you the floor. I'm going to say, you do not, if you're going to do it like I do, like all my students do are becoming wealthy doing this, you do not buy a property unless it makes you $250 or more in passive income every single month. That's with everything else paid for, this is $250. And this, you guys, if you're, if you're able to watch this, my kids are in my background. You can see my kids. I have four kids. This is how we feed our kids. This is how we put a roof over our head is that passive income. And so the floor is $250, but that's the floor. And that is also covering all the expenses. Now, here's the great thing. With $250 a month in passive income, if you buy one property, that's $3,000 a year in passive income. Maybe like your boss coming to you, hey, I want to give you $3,000 more a year. But heck yeah, I'm going to take that. Now, if you had 10 properties making you $250, remember that's the minimum. 10 properties making you $250, that's $2,500 a month in passive income. That's $30,000 extra a year in passive income. Remember, you're not doing any work. The properties and your property managers and your people you hire are. And so, yes, absolutely. With that $10,000, what you're going to do is you have a couple different options. One of the biggest ones, one of the easiest ones that I usually point my students into if they're not going to do the FHA loan, which we can absolutely do that. Another option would be buying a cheaper home that still is going to be rented. So if you're going to find a house Let's say, I don't know, Memphis, Tennessee. You might find a house for $60,000. Well, if you're going to put 20% down, that's going to be, what is that, $12,000? We'll find a house for $50,000. Find a house for, for $45,000. But you don't even have to pay market price. See, we're investors. We make money in six different ways when we buy one property. And so if we buy it lower, we capture equity. If they're asking 60, we offer lower and they come down, let's say they come down to like 45. From 60 to 45, we captured $15,000 in equity. Let me give you the other five really, really quick. So equity captures one way. Then you also have passive income, which I've just talked about. You have forced appreciation. You fix up a property and makes the property worth more. Market appreciation, which we know properties go up over time. You also have tax benefits. Depreciation is fantastic. 1031 exchange. There's a whole other things. You could learn all that. But here's one of the, another great ones. I just said this a minute ago, my tenants pay for my mortgage. They pay for the insurance, they pay for the taxes, they pay for the principal, they pay for the interest, they pay all that, and they're buying down the rest of my mortgage. So all that combined with that $10,000, we can absolutely get you a property. You should, and remember the minimum, is $250 or more in passive income. Okay. I mean, it definitely sounds very interesting. It's just, it's such a different world to the one in which I come from. You know, I think about 
all I ever think about. And definitely when I look at real estate, I always look at risk before I look at anything else because you get excited by that one deal. But I know so many people, they chase the one deal until it killed them. Can you explain to me, like, let's say we have it set up with a great property to make us $300 a month. And then we go, what happens when your tenant leaves and you're trying to fill in that gap? Does the property manager automatically restart that process? Do they get paid? only if the, if the property's occupied, or do you still have those bills in if you have an empty month or two, especially like during a season right now? So there are so many different ways that property managers actually charge you. There's so many fees. They, they have, now they're all, not all the same. Like there is just a bunch of different fees that they can charge you. Some property managers charge more, some don't charge for a certain thing. And what I always tell my students is we need to interview property managers. This is your quarterback. Like you need to, I actually, my first property manager, I did this wrong. I hired the first property manager in six months. She started stealing from me. It was like thousands of dollars. It was horrible. I was just, I had to fire them and find, figure out how to do it right. But yeah, you're absolutely right. So that property manager, when you hire them right, you need to interview a bunch of property managers, the whole process of interviewing it and doing it right, finding the right property manager. But there are these fees. And to answer specifically your question, do you pay them if it's not rented? Absolutely not. In fact, that's something they're going to try to charge you. They're going to say, hey, if it's not rented, we get a minimum of $50. I'm like, no, what's the benefit or what's the incentive for you to go out and find somebody in there? No, if it's not rented, I'm not making money. You're not making money. So usually, and this is a coaching tip I'll give you, is what I tell my students is everything in this business is negotiable. Everything from the purchase price to the rental price to negotiating with the property manager, negotiating with the title fees, like how much you're going to charge there. Everything, like literally, if you think, oh, you know, Dustin said everything. I wonder if this is, yes, that is negotiable. Everything is negotiable. And so what I usually do with my, my students, I tell them, okay, they have this line on it. There might be a really good property manager, but they're going to charge you 50 bucks a month if it's not rented. Tell them, I'm not going to pay that. Like, I'm going to go with you. I, sorry, I want to go with you, but I just can't pay this if it's not rented. If you can, can you cross that out or can we not have that charge? Usually they'll say, yes, they have it in there. Most likely most people that aren't coached that don't know what they're doing to say, okay, and sign up and just do that. But no, we, that's one of many fees that we need to watch out for. So yes, they absolutely start the entire process over. They clean out, they rehab, not rehab, but like they clean out, fix up, you know, clean the carpets, paint the walls, whatever's needed in the property and they list it and they get it rented again for you. Okay. It sounds like that's like the, the critical hire is finding that person who's going to be your property manager, find that person who's kind of going to be your point person in the region. So when you're interviewing them in a place you've never been to, what are the kind of things you look for or what are the key questions that you ask to separate the good from the bad? So there's, there's quite a few of them, but I'm going to give you a few of the principles. I, I actually have, a, from all my students, I give them a list of like 20, 22 different questions that they must ask. So let me give you one that you would never hear any, like literally nobody would ever tell you this. When you're interviewing property managers, there's a number of questions, but here's a great one that you need to ask. Because remember, I'm investing out of state. I'm investing in places I've never been. In fact, all the 30 plus properties, I've literally only seen one of them. I only see one of them before I bought it. All the other ones, I just count on, count on the other people. In fact, my students never fly anywhere. They buy property sight unseen because they have other people send them pictures and all that good stuff. So the number one thing that you need to ask among a couple other ones, but the first thing is if you, property manager, if you were to invest in this city, if you invest your own personal money, where would you invest? And the reason why you ask that question is that easily shows you the entire area of the entire map. Like, let's say he, the, the property manager says in the Northwest, that's a bad, they, they might not say bad area, but they say that's, that's not the best area. 
the Southwest, that's the best area. If you buy there, that's where I would put my money. And if you ask four, five, six, seven, ten property managers that question, you're going to get a good idea of the entire area where the good and bad areas are. So that's the first one. Now, let me give you a few principles on the types of property managers, and you'll be able to figure out the questions. So number one, we want to make sure that they are trustworthy. Trustworthy meaning you're going to be counting on them 100%. Like I count on my property managers to give, to make sure that I'm making money so I can have food to put uh, to, for my kids and put a roof over our heads. And so you need to, like you said, it's a really, really critical hire. So you need to make sure that they're trustworthy. So asking questions like, so what happens if you have a, in the past, like give me an example of a time where you had a experience where the property manager, you as a property manager were, you undercut or you, you didn't pay enough to the landlord that you owed money to. How did that work out? You might ask questions like that, but you want to make sure that they're trustworthy, that they, and another way is calling references. You won't hear other people talk about, because I'm so big on property managers. I lost money, lots of money with my property first property manager. So I have, I've definitely fine tuned this, this, but you want to ask for references. And this is how you're going to know if they're trustworthy, not just like, Hey, Joe Schmo down the street. No, you want to say, give me three references and just let them know. I'm, I'm going to talk to them for literally two minutes. Like it's going to be two to five minutes just asking about you and you use them as a reference. The next thing on top of trustworthiness is communication. That is huge. If a property manager does not get back to me within 24 hours, that is like, I'm worried. Like, these are my properties. This is my livelihood. And so I make sure that they're able or not just able, but they agree 24 hour turnaround on any communication. If it takes any longer than that, I'm going to find somebody else. And the reason why is because like I said, I count on this to feed my family. So on top of that, what I also look for, so you got trustworthiness, you have communication, figure out where they're going to be investing, but you also, and here's a pro tip that I'm going to give you. When you're interviewing these property managers, you don't want to just interview them one time and leave it at that. You want to interview them two or three times and you want to test them by, if you leave a message, how long is it going to take for them to call you back? And remember, you have not hired them yet. If you haven't hired them and they're taking two, three, four days or a week to get back to you and you still have, you haven't even hired them, how bad do you think it's going to be when they actually have your business? They have your money. Ah, I'll get to them later. No, you want to get the ones that are really, really so much great communication back and forth with you, overly communicating. I love those property managers. So those are the main ones is trustworthiness and communication. There's other ones like ability, like are they actually able to do the work? If they have a hundred properties and they can literally give you the address of the different properties, you can just, you know, use a Zillow or something that shows that they're capable they're able to actually manage the properties as opposed to, yeah, they have one property and they've never done it before. So those are the main principles that you actually have to have as you're finding property managers. Okay. And how do you deal with issues like repairs or damage or there's, you know, the sink is flooding. Does the property manager handle all that? Do you already have your handyman lined up? How does that process work? The reason why I have a property manager is for the entire running of the entire business, all the properties, everything in that area. And so everything from placing a tenant to managing, I don't want to get a 2 a.m. phone call. Like, I don't want that. That's what I'm paying you to do. You handle those. Usually now with technology, technology is great. If it's something really, really bad, they'll have an emergency hotline. But if it's something that's not bad, they usually have like an online maintenance form that the tenants have to put in. It goes to them. But yes, everything from beginning to end, that's what you're paying them on a monthly basis to manage the properties. Now remember, you put that in your expenses. So you already know 
that your tenants are paying for that property manager. We already account for that expense. But yes, they, from beginning to end, I don't even want, number one, I don't want to talk to my tenants. <laughs> number two, I don't want, I don't really want to know what's going on in the properties. Just, just take care of it for me as long as I trust them. Like most of my property managers, I've been with them for years, years and years, like, like five, seven, eight, ten 10 years. And so I trust them really, really well. But I don't really want to talk to them unless it's something that's completely necessary. I'd really be hanging out with my kids or doing whatever I want. So yes, these property managers, they're professional. And so you treat them like professionals. They're supposed to take care of your business from top to bottom. Okay, but is there, there's never the worry that like the property gets damaged and ends up costing more than you have in your repair budget. Like what happens, you know, if there's like a lightning strike or just something crazy? Those are, well, number one, the biggest thing is you have insurance. So if there's something that is like that, or there's a flood or fire, you have insurance. So by far, you absolutely must have insurance over everything. But as far as, so we're switching a little bit from property managers to your own business model, how you're supposed to do it. You need to have cash reserves. Cash reserves is something that you must have in any business. This is another business. Obviously, I've talked about building business first. Exact same thing. You want to have cash reserves. And this is another expense that we put in our expenses. Remember, I told you, add up all your expenses and you take your income. And the difference is your passive income from the rents to the expenses. One of your expense is a cash reserve amount. What I suggest is everybody, for every single property that you have, until you get about five properties, then it starts becoming a little too big. But track them here. If you have one property, you want to save 10% of the rents every single month until you have one per, uh, one month's rent saved up. So if you have a thousand a property that rents for a thousand dollars, save a hundred dollars every single month. Put it aside until you after ten months, unless you've dipped into it. That's a thousand dollars. I would say you can probably keep doing that, or you can hold off. If you have a thousand dollars on one property, that's fairly good. That's also on top of remember you have three thousand dollars a year in passive income from that one property. So you're setting aside these capital expenses. Like if a, a AC goes out or a furnace goes out, that's a capital expense. That's a you know part of the property we have to fix up. Or if there's a repair, like a flood or something like that, we also save for that as well. So every single property, we definitely want to be saving money every single month, setting aside as cash reserves. Okay. It sounds like you have a pretty good system here. It's definitely got me intrigued you know, because I live internationally. So most of the other systems I've ever seen, like for buying real estate, it's like impossible because it's so much about being there and, you know, like FHA loans, we actually have to live in the house, all things that I don't want to do. So this is very interesting to me. And I appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us, Dustin. How can people get started? If someone wants to take the first step, step, dip their toe in just to see if this is even the right type of business model for them, how can they get started? What's the first thing they should look at? So the first thing, absolutely. So I'm going to give, if you don't mind, I'll give everybody something for free. Do you mind, mind if I give it out? That's fine. Go ahead. Awesome. So the first step is to get my free real estate investing course. And so I have it. If you go to masterpassiveincome.com forward slash free course, I literally put, I documented everything, what you need to do, how to locate a new area of the country to invest, how to find properties, how to get property managers, how to, how to, I even, I think I believe I put a bunch of questions and questions in there that you need to ask the property managers, how to fund, get money for the properties, how to run the business price, and even how to quit your job. So I have that all in there masterpassiveincome.com forward slash free course. And even if, you know, if you're on a podcast, you can even text the word rental, R-E-N-T-A-L to 33777, rental to 33777. You'll get my free course. That is really, if you go through that and you're realizing it's not for me, then you've saved yourself so much time and effort and money. If it, if you go through it and you're like, you know what? I could do this. Cause I tell you, I even have, I just interviewed a student. He's 23 years old. He now has two duplexes. It's making him like 
$1,300 a month in passive income and he's 23 years old. And so you, if he could do that, if I could do it, you can too. So that's the first thing is getting the course, reading through it. If it's something that you really realize you can do, then yes, you need the next step after that is to just learn, get education. Because I'm going to tell you that there are so many ways to do this business wrong. I'm, I'm, I'll say that one more time. There are so many ways to do, to do this business wrong. In fact, most of the people that are teaching this, I don't hear them teaching like I teach. They literally, this is literally the course. That's what you're going to get. You find a property, you run the numbers, like you just make sure you're going to make passive income and then you buy the property and then you find a property manager and then you hire, they find a tenant for you. If you do all that, it's all backwards. You're not, you're going to lose money. In fact, don't do it that way. You need to learn. So I have my podcast, Master Passive Income Podcast, where it's literally just me teaching how to invest. That's all it is. It's just me teaching how to invest in real estate. But that's the process you need to do. The last thing I want to give you is financially to get ready, get out of debt. Number one, absolutely get out of debt. Cut your expenses so you can save more money for investing. Once you have $10,000, my goodness, we can start there and get that first property. Then we take that $250 or the $3,000 a year, save that to buy the next property. Save that next one to buy the next property. And then sooner or later, you're going to have 10 properties. You're going to make in $30,000 a month at minimum. Remember, that's the floor. We want to have a floor. So we only, we're always going to be making that. So that's the process that I would do is it was start learning and start saving. And then once, once you're ready, if you want me to help you out, I'll help you out to get that first property and build that business. Well, that was awesome. Thank you so much for spending time with us, Dustin. I know my listeners are going to be checking out and be grabbing a copy of your free course because I know I was just checking out your book, How to Quit Your Job with Rental Properties. It's very interesting. I'm always excited to learn new business models because I know that for different people, different business models are the right move. And I know for some of my listeners, this is definitely going to be very, very exciting. Thank you so much for being here today. And I can't wait to have everyone back for another exciting episode of the Serve No Master podcast. Thank you for listening to the Serve No Master podcast. Get a free copy of my bestseller, Fire Your Boss, right now on Amazon. Go to servermaster.com forward slash get fire or just search Fire Your Boss on Amazon.